0: Hope you have your Bibles, and if you do, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We want you to have your Bibles, have them open, be looking at them, and, and we're working our way through Scripture. Here's our series Killing Sin Before It Kills You. And the reason we want to kill sin is because sin is deadly, deadly serious. Listen again to James. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Uh, I didn't just by accident say, hey, we're not killing babies, we're killing sin. Notice there is a spiritual sense where abortion is right. We want to... Uh, abort sin before it gives birth. We want to be able to uh, uh, resist temptation and kill sin before it kills us. Listen to Romans 8, 12 through 14 again. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit... You are putting to death the deeds of the body. You will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Killing sin isn't an option. It's a requirement for the true believer. And if you will take hold of what we're learning in this series and apply it in your life, you will grow in your assurance of salvation. God's true believers are not swamped and, and, and they haven't surrendered to their besetting sins. Now, notice the downward spiral of habitual sin. Enjoy the forbidden pleasure. Feel guilty. Determine to never do it again. Take pride in brief moments of self-control. Fail again. And then sink into despair of defeat. Again, through the week, as I examine my own heart, I'm also <laughs> praying for you. It would be a a, a travesty for any of us to go through this series and not identify what is that sin that keeps tempting us, that we keep giving in, and identify, look, where are you on this, on this spiral in relation to that sin? I promise you, no one here is so godly and so spiritual, they don't have besetting sins. They may be respectable sins that you can't see and and you can still look down your nose on others who do the more unrespectable sins. But we all have this. And I know it's doing heart surgery in my own heart. So how should Christians respond? How do you respond to this downward spiral? And the answer is simply this. In Christ, begin to kill sinful habits and replace them with godly habits. I like what John Owen says, be killing sin, and I like to modify, be killing sin or sin be killing you. Okay? Some good, uh, uh, I don't know. So, there you go. Listen, sin can be overcome. Sin, yeah, I, I myself. Sin can be overcome. You can do this. And Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I just don't, you know, we went through, uh, what, 13 weeks going through the ascension. It's amazing to me that in Hebrews uh, 12, 1 and 2, uh, the author of Hebrews ties that we should lay aside these besetting sins. We should lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. And he attributes it that we must fix our eyes on the ascended Lord. And so all that we have studied in the previous weeks help us to do this. But today, I want us to look at the beginning. I mean, whenever you study a topic in the Bible, it's great to go back to Genesis because so many fundamental principles. So we're going to look at Genesis 3 because that's the first record of temptation in the Bible, the first record of temptation. And I want to give you three truths to have anchored in your soul when you are tempted. I promise you, if you don't embrace these three truths, you will never have victory over your sin. You just won't. And it is the heart of so much of what we're going to study. So let's look at three truths have anchored and embraced in your heart when tempted. And the first is so fundamental, we'll spend more time on it. God is good, so trust Him. When you are tempted, God is good, so trust Him. Listen, last week we saw we live in a fallen world that's filled with an enemy above us. And who's that? The devil. We have an enemy within us. What is that? The flesh. We have the enemy around us. What is that? The world. The world. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And is it any wonder that with all of that around us, within us, and above us, that we're going to question the goodness of God? But if you can't wholeheartedly believe in God's goodness, you will be paralyzed in battling sin. And so Satan's first move in the Garden of Eden, the first thing he did was to cause Eve or tempt Eve to distrust the goodness of God. Let's read verses 1 through 7. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, so right there we know it's a creature, and yet it's something more than just a snake because it's talking, okay? And so the devil, a created fallen angel, is speaking through the serpent in the garden. The woman said, and, and, and he said to the woman, now here's the first words. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden, And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. She's already on the defense and she's already added to God's word, making it more strict than what God had said. God had only said, Don't eat from it. She added, don't touch it. And I think the reason she did that is she's already beginning to think about grabbing it because that's the first step. She can't eat from it unless she touches it. The serpent said to the woman, you surely, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the eyes, and that it was a delight to the eyes, or the lust, of the, sorry, saw that the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. She took from its fruit, ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So you have this this. This discussion, that the temptation is the discussion. But when she chooses to sin, it just goes like fire. She sees, she takes, she eats, she gives, he eats. Boom. Sin has been accomplished. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So right here, we have, in the first temptation, the world... The flesh and the devil, all, you know, the devil for the first time shows up in tempting humanity. The flesh rises up within Eve's heart and the worldly desires are acted upon in this. Now, what happened? Tempted to to distrust God's goodness. How did the devil tempt them to distrust God? God's goodness. Three ways. Let's look at it. The first way is this. They were tempted in questioning the goodness of God's word. That's where it begins. Questioning the goodness of God begins with the questioning of the goodness of God's word. The Net Bible has the first thing Satan says this way. Is it really true that God said? Is it really true the ESV says it this way, did God actually say, there's the doubt, there's the questioning of God's word. And I'm telling you, more and more within even professing Christians, there is a, is a growing acceptance of questioning the clarity of God's word. I mean think about it in in Genesis 2 you're right there just turn back one page maybe not even one page one page and look in 216 through 17 this is what God said and let me ask you is it clear the Lord God commanded the man he gave it directly to Adam as head saying from any tree of the garden you may eat freely But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, did God stutter? Is that complex? Is that as clear as day? Yes. Yes. And what does Satan want us to do? He wants us to look at the clarity, the authority, the necessity, the sufficiency of God's word and question all of it. Now, does that mean everything in the Bible is easy to understand? No, it doesn't mean that. But what we need for salvation, what you need to battle sin, it is clear. It is is there. And the devil wants us to question. And I am amazed that men and women with PhDs who profess Christ will question the clarity of of God's word on social media over and over, but we're not so much worried about them this morning as in our own hearts. When we question the word of God, I want to challenge you this morning to take this acronym, I-SCAN, inerrancy, sufficiency, clarity, Authority and necessity. I scan the Bible. You determine in your heart this morning. I am going to hold true to the inerrancy of the Bible. God speaks without error in this book. I'm going to hold to the sufficiency of this Bible. It doesn't tell me everything about life, but it tells me what is absolutely essential for life. It is sufficient. And I'm telling you, there are certain things that I don't fully understand about a lot of things in life. But you know what? I don't have to understand them. I'm just going to be accountable for understanding this book. Sufficiency authority this is our final authority i don't care who says it i don't care if i say it if pastor bruce says it i don't care if if uh, chuck swindoll or whoever's the the famous pastor or people you listen to on social i don't care who says it the president god's our final authority and the necessity of it—we must have the Word of God. You've got to know it. You've got to know it. And Eve apparently didn't fully understand it and know it, and and she she was tempted. She took she she had been taught it. Adam had taught it to her, and she was tempted to question it, question it, question it. Don't go down that route. Here's the second thing. Um, Well, let me say this. We're, we're, We're tempted to doubt what he has said. So that's what I've been hammering on. But also to defend what he has not said. Here's the interesting thing. And I see it all the time on social media. Here's what the devil does. He'll take God's word, twist it, and say, well, God said this. And then all of a sudden you're on the defense and you're trying to correct what is an error. And listen, don't get sucked into that. Sometimes there's a place for that, okay? There's a place, there's a place for that. And it's okay to ask questions of the Bible in order to understand it better. It's when we question it to undermine it that is the problem, okay? But listen, he says, he takes what God says... And here's what he does. He begins with the negative restriction when God began with the positive abundance. God began by saying, you can eat from anything except for one tree. And the devil starts with the negative and says, you can't eat from anything. And he puts you on the defense because now you guys say, well, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And she would have been far better and you would be far better to simply quote the word. Like Jesus did. You've got to understand it in context. We just don't slap verses and wave them on a banner, you know, to attack Satan. We've got to know what they mean. But sometimes the best thing is not answer all of the questions and just say, well, what does it say? What does it say? And know what it says. So the first way we're tempted to distrust God's goodness is to question the goodness of his word. But here's the second thing. He tempts us to doubt the goodness of God's will. Questioning the goodness of God's word, doubting the goodness of God's will. Where do we see that? Look back in your Bibles, verse 4. Satan deceives us into doubting the goodness of God's will. The serpent said to the woman, You will not die. God said, You will die. And Satan says, Question that. Question that. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. And then he says this, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. So here's the idea. God is restricting you because he doesn't want you to achieve your potential. You have a right to be like him and he won't let you. He isn't on your side. Do you see how that questions all of that? God doesn't have your best interest. If he really wanted what's best, he'd let you do whatever sin you are tempted in. Is that... It's a questioning of the goodness of God's will. When he prohibits something, it is for our good because he is good. And he wants the best for us. And his restrictions are far fewer than his freedom that he grants us in Christ Jesus. So much of the bitterness and the anger and the rebellion in people's hearts is due to a lack of confidence in the goodness of God. I want you to hear what this sounds like. What does it sound like? It's like the single person who asks, The hedonist reasons like this. Why should God restrict me from my pleasure? When I am hungry, I eat. When I want pleasure, I have sex. A God who cramps my lifestyle isn't good, and if He were, He'd give me someone to meet this need. The alcoholic complains. The bitter person reacts God loves me. Why did he allow my parents to treat me like they did? If good God would never allow this to happen look, this is real now i didn 't choose people according to their sins. I, I, I told them all <laughs> that uh, if you 'll do this for me, I did not pick you for that, but I think it 's important us to hear the voices, right, because these things are thought, these things are said all around us, and they question the goodness of God, and they justify our sin. Listen, if you're a worrier, you're doubting God's goodness because you're worried that He'll let something into your life that isn't really for your good. If you're a greedy or covetous person that always wants more, you doubt whether God's being fair in what He's already provided you. If you experience outbursts of uncontrolled anger, then you are doubting God's goodness and allowing these frustrations to enter into your life. If you will look at your besetting sin, your stubborn, sinful habit, you will see growing in the root of it, doubting the goodness of God. That is where it all begins. We don't trust Him to want the best for us, because we think we know better what's best. The third way we're tempted to distrust God's goodness right here is resenting the goodness of God's ways. The resenting of the goodness of God's ways. This, too, is what Satan is trying to do. Look at verse 4. Again, look at verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. You resent that God has consequences to our sins. And you want to deny that there are consequences. Then he says, for God knows in the day you eat from from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You will be, God is restricting you from what is best for you. And so you defy him so that you can get your right to be your own God. That's the idea. He tempts us to focus on the restrictions instead of the abundance of God's will. Listen, God's ways are so generous, so gracious, so good. You say, yeah, but Chris, what about this suffering? Yeah, it's a reality, and, and here's how it happened. Here's why there's so much suffering. I can't answer all the questions about suffering. But what I will not doubt or question is the goodness of God. Yeah, but why did he do? I don't know. I'm not God. Yeah, but wouldn't it have been better? No, it wouldn't have been better or he would have done it. Yeah, but I don't like that. I get that. You're not God. I don't always like it, but I love him because I know he is good. And I'm reading through the Bible again this year, in a year, and you just see, and I, I think the older I get and the more I follow Jesus, more questions I have about some of the, the crazy things that you see in the Bible. I probably have more questions, because I'm seeing, anyway, there's all sorts of reasons for that. But all the way through it, there is a constant drumbeat of the goodness and the grace of God. And I just need to humble myself and say, I can't answer all the unknown. I don't, I don't have all the answers. And I can't explain suffering and sin. But I know in Genesis right here, it begins with doubt. I'm not going to doubt this word. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to doubt this God. He is good. He is gracious. His word, his will, and his ways are to be trusted. And the Satan is constantly tempting us in the other way. So, let me give you three results of doubting God's goodness. Here's what happens. Here's why he wants us to doubt the goodness of God in his word, his will, and his ways. Here's what happens. You will fear repentance and obedience. You will fear doing what's right. You will fear forsaking your sin because you don't trust that it's in your best interest. Many Christians fear forsaking their sins because they can't imagine living without them. Here's what happens with a stubborn sin. It becomes your, your security blanket. Your Linus, and your stubborn sin is your blanket. And it's, it, it's comforting, even though you're in this downward spiral. And the only thing that's going to break you out of that is knowing God's good. There's goodness on the other side of repenting. There's goodness on the other side of obeying. Secondly, you will resist repentance and obedience. If you fear it, you will resist it. You will be convinced that God wants to rob you rather than bless you. You know why most people who seek counseling never benefit from it? Because they don't really want to change. They want to know how to get rid of the guilt or the discomfort or the difficulty without actually repenting and changing their lives. Give me some minor adjustments that make life go smoother versus radical heart surgery to really change who I am. So if you fear it, you'll resist it, and if you resist it, you will choose to keep on sinning. That's the third result. You will choose to keep on sinning. Listen, listen, if you think your way is better than God's way, and we all do, listen, every time we sin, we're saying, My way's better than your way. Every time. I know better than you do. And if you think that, and if I think that, then God has nothing to offer us but future judgment. Listen to Proverbs. There is a way which seems right to a person, but the end is the way of death. I know better. I just declared a death sentence on my life. I will do this. Listen to Proverbs 3 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Instead of fearing what repentance will look like, fear the one to whom we will give an account. Listen, God is good, what? All the time. And all the time. And we need to be repeating that, just not as a churchy mantra, but we need to be repeating that when we're faced with temptation. God is good. Trust in the goodness of God. Two results of doing so. Why should I do that? Here's two results of trusting God's goodness. The first is this. You will continue to surrender your entire life to him. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. you could, you could That basically is saying by the goodness of God... Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Listen, if you trust in His goodness, you'll release everything to Him. And I think that happens in two ways. One, for most Christians, there's a crisis point where you surrender it all. You just, you just, you kind of realized, oh, I trusted Him for salvation. And I needed, you know, trusting him for salvation is surrendering your all, but we don't always understand that. It takes time. Okay, It took me about three months after I accepted Christ to figure out, oh, okay, I need to give him everything. But then every day you have to renew that commitment, and especially when tempted, Lord, I'm going to present my body, a living sacrifice unto you. I'm going to surrender it all to you because it says in Romans 12, one And two, it says, so that you may prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The result of trusting God, you will surrender everything to him. And number two, you will continue to thirst for change. You'll want more. You'll want more. You will thirst for change because you have found that giving in to sin is a broken water bottle. That every time you pour water in, it just comes right out and you're still thirsty. You're still thirsty. Versus the living waters coming out of your heart to where the Holy Spirit is continually renewing, satisfying, encouraging, and enabling you to overcome and to draw closer to God. So that's, that's the first one. The first truth to take into temptation is God is good. So trust Him. The second is this. You're not good. So take responsibility for your sin. God is good, so trust Him. You're not good, so take responsibility. Go back to Genesis 3 and let's read 8 through 13. What? How does Adam and Eve respond after having given in to temptation? Look at verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves, note, from what? From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. He won't see us. (laughs) Okay. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden And I was afraid. There's the fear. There's the fear. Because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? That is a simple yes no question. Simple yes no question. Have you done what I told you not to do? What does Eve say? Or what does Adam say? The man said, the woman, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Okay? Never once really admits, I mean, he says I ate, only after what? Blaming Eve and even God. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the first thing we learn about giving into sin is that in our flesh we blame others we blame others for our sinful habits that's what the flesh does it's blaming others every one of us in this room has a propensity to blame others rather than take responsibility so let's take a look at this god asked adam straightforward questions where are you who told you have you eaten who did Adam blame for his sinful choice? Eve. But then who else? God, why? What did he, what did he say? You gave me this woman. You gave me this woman. It's, it's, I mean, you can't, they're standing right there with their with their you know their fig leaves that are that are you know getting crinkly and, and getting ready to fall off. And he just goes, she that you gave me. She. Gave it to me. Who did Eve blame for her sinful choice? The serpent. the serpent. And who created the snake? God created. So in a backhanded way, she's blaming God too. It's, it's the creation that you have allowed. There's a joke that Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. Yeah. I share it every time. Will Rogers once remarked that there are two eras in, in American history, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. And it's true. We just want to blame others. Now, in the end, it's really like no one was responsible, and basically it's God's fault. But who did God say was responsible for the sin that took place? You know who he said? Who? Who? All, all of them. All of them. He speaks and he judges all three. But there's a difference. He curses all three for what they have done. He, or he curses and there's consequences for what all three have done. But he only interacts with Adam and Eve who are made in his image. The devil, it, behind the serpent, he merely curses. Okay, Because there's no redemption available in that there's no redemption available in that he dialogues with his image bearers and he he shows covenant love to them you see adam and eve had a choice and they would have to suffer their consequences. And Adam's choice was even greater than Eve's because she, he was the head of their marriage and the head of humanity. And when he chose to sin, he took down all of humanity and all of creation with him. And yet, his headship did not absolve Eve of her responsibility. The Lord addressed Eve He addressed Adam. He addressed them individually. But ultimately, Adam's choice as the head of the human race and the head in that marriage had the greater uh, consequences. Now, what about sinful people or circumstances that impact our lives? Chris, you're talking about taking responsibility. But what about when sinful people have come into my life and there's no denying that living in a fallen world is horribly terribly painful at times right and sinful people do some horrendous things we were just watching this documentary on some guy that created a hotel And it it was like a normal hotel on the bottom floor. On the top floor, it was like a maze of rooms that were insulated, and people would get lost in them. And then he would drug them through the vents, take them down to the basement, and do terrible torturing acts on them. That's a fallen world. I mean, I'm talking about real. That's not TV made-up stuff. Okay? That's just... It's horrible. It's horrible. But... So a person may catch AIDS from a blood transfusion. They didn't commit any sin. They, they, they had a blood transfusion. A person is sexually molested by a parent or a caring or a, a you know a relative, somebody they trusted. The death of a child, a loved one. All of these things enter our life because of sin. But listen we're responsible and accountable for how we respond to them. Are you with me? We can't control what was done to us. We can trust the goodness of God, even in the most horrendous uh, uh, circumstances, but we are responsible for how we respond. The person that's born with a propensity to alcohol, Or sexual sin is not free of the responsibility of saying no to those things. And and because they have that propensity, they're going to have to say no more than others. And they may have to make no provision for the flesh in ways that others don't. But we're responsible to say no. And not blame it on our circumstances. Sin is not caused by our circumstances, but by our response to those circumstances. And all I'm telling you is I just shared with you some horrendous circumstances. I just gave you some examples. We could testify around this room of the the horrors of living in a fallen world. And what, listen, you have to fall back on the goodness of God. And you fall back on the goodness of his word and his will. I don't have have all those answers. Why? Why? Why did he even allow sin? I don't know. He's wiser than me, and he's better than me. He did, and he's God, and I'm going to trust his goodness. But here's what I know, is that I am responsible, no matter how sovereign he is, and no matter what may happen to me, I am accountable for what I do. How do I take responsibility for my stubborn habit? Well, here, here you go. We're not going to go through all that. this you confess. You say it's mine. You own it. You go, I did it. No one else did it. I did it. And I don't want to do it anymore. And then you admit it. You make honest confession to God and to others as needed. And then you request forgiveness. You say, Lord, I need cleansing, I need forgiving, I need release and power to overcome. And you receive it because he is eager to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You simply say, please release me from my sin debt. You do what David did against you and you only. Have I sinned? I am wrong here. Confess it. Take responsibility for your sin. It's not a mistake. It's not a moral lapse. It's no excuses, no justification. I did it. I'm guilty. I don't want to do it again. Now, here's the third truth. If that's all you had, listen, too many of us stop right here. And if that's all you have, trust in God's goodness, take responsibility. The third point you're going to supply your flesh is try harder try harder try harder God's good I'm going to take responsibility I'm going to try harder I'm going to try harder that's not the third T it's not trying harder here's the third T deliverance is possible so turn to Christ deliverance is possible so turn to where it is found amen it's found in Christ and the whole rest of the series is going to help you figure that out in practical terms. Because if you just say that, yeah, I mean, most of you in this room know that. You know, this is what you would tell someone else. The question is, when you're tempted, what's this, how, do you, how, do you, how do you deal with it? How does this play out in your life? Deliverance is possible. You know why deliverance is possible? Because God's good. You know why deliverance is possible? Because you're not good, so don't try harder. Turn to the one who is both good and has conquered sin as a human being. There's only one person on the planet who's done that. Who is that? Jesus. He's God, he's good, and he's godly as a human being. He has he has been tempted in all ways and yet without sin. So deliverance is possible. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. First Corinthians 10 13. I want you to see this. This is a great, this is a great truth to memorize, take in, and to rely on. First Corinthians 10 13 has so much truth backed into it. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. See, there's the goodness of God again. There's the goodness of God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Notice those two words, escape and endure. Sometimes temptation, we need to run from it. Sometimes we can't run from it. We have to endure it and keep saying no, right? So if you always go to a certain place or do something, and every time you do that thing, you're tempted. What should you do? What? Stay away. away. Stop going there. I I know men who have had to realign their drive, their how they their uh, their path to work. So they aren't passing certain things that would cause them to be tempted. Wise move, right? But some temptations are like a propensity to certain sins that are in our, I can't get away from myself, so what do I have to do? I have to endure it, but God will enable me to endure it. So let me give you three truths that come out of this passage. The first truth is this. No one can plead their case is unique. Well, no one's been tempted like me. Wrong. Oh, no one's had it as hard as me. Bah, wrong. Listen, we're going to be in heaven. We're going to be amazed at people who were tempted a hundred times worse than we were. and And by God's grace, they said no. Listen, and it doesn't matter who you are. Jesus has been tempted beyond what any of us because he never gave in. You say, oh, because he's Jesus, he had it easier. No, he had it harder because he never, ever gave in. You cannot say your situation is unique. Number two, no Christian can claim they cannot resist temptation. God is faithful. You can have victory. You can have victory. I am praying, I am begging God to grant victory through this series. Number three. No one can say there is no way out of a stubborn habit. There is a way. There is a way to escape and endure. And you know why deliverance is possible? Because the deliverer was promised and is now provided in the person and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to look away from yourself, look away from your sin, and look to the One who has ascended to the right hand of the Father, has sent his Holy Spirit, and he will enable you. You will enable you. So here's what I did. I don't, I'm not going to teach through what I've got here. I, just, I sat and I thought, now before the fall, because Adam and Eve were attempted in a perfect environment, something that we can't have a hard time relating to. Perfect environment, and they were not fallen. They were good. In fact, God saw all of it and said, it's very good. So it's hard for us to relate to it. But what happened in that environment? Well, first of all, they failed to call out to their creator, God, who created that dumb snake. Who created the fallen angel, devil. Who created them? All Eve had to do was say, hey, sneaky snake, I know the creator. I'm going to check with him. Hey, God, what did you say? They had a creator God who created them in his image. He's large and in charge. He can help you with your temptations. They had a covenant God. In Genesis 2, the name for God switches from Elohim to Yahweh because he's the covenant God that cared for them deeply. In Genesis 1, he's creating, the you know, let there be light, and he's transcendent. In Genesis, two, he 's taking dirt, molding it, breathing into it, mouth to mouth, it 's very intimate. he 's talking to Adam and saying, "Adam, now here 's my command Adam, here 's my garden, here 's my purpose for you. Adam, here 's the helper, an ally that i 've made for you it 's very intimate." They knew he cared for them. And then the creation order in Genesis 2 is complementarity. There, There is head, Adam is head, and Eve is that helper and that ally. And they're both standing there, apparently, when they are tempted, and they're not helping each other. I mean, when you first read The Temptation of Eve, you don't even know Adam's there. And then it says, and she gave to the man who was with her. Now, we don't know for sure that he was standing right there, but he was certainly close by. And then when Adam takes it, he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't, he doesn't you know, he's not concerned. Oh, my wife sinned. Oh, well, let's just join in with her, you know. They had a partnership, and they failed to utilize it and leverage it. What happened after the fall? Here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of deliverance. When the fall comes, God seeks him out. Adam! Adam! And there's Adam, huddled in a bush with a fig leaf, covering himself up, afraid. And God seeks him out. Listen, God is seeking you today. He's calling you by name. And you're huddled in your guilt and fear of whatever your besetting sin is, and he's calling to you. Isn't that encouraging? And he has a precious covering for your shame. He clothed them. He provided them a picture of blood atonement. He had to kill an animal. There was the shedding of blood. And most of all, he promised a son that would be a serpent killer who is also our sin killer. Isn't it beautiful that in this moment he says to the serpent, The seed of woman is going to crush your head and you're going to bite his heel. Your venom venom is going to kill him, but in killing him, he's going to crush you. And I thought about this series and I thought, there it is. Who's our sin killer? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's a sin killer. And if you'll turn to him and trust his goodness take responsibility for your sin and trust him to deliver you, he will do that. And you know the beauty that in Christ, in Christ, he has restored complementarity. You say, well, I'm not married. I don't have a head. Or I'm not uh, married. I don't have a helper. That's why we have the church. I disciple an autistic kid to help parents. Encourage godliness in their kid. That's why the church, you know, we're, we're all spiritual brothers and sisters, husbands and wives. We're here to help one another. Amen. We're here to encourage one another. And that's why we grow groups sign up today. In our grow groups. And, 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 and I, I one of the reasons I enjoy our group is, is, is there's a diversity of, of, of stages and ages of life. And that's just a healthy thing. It's just a healthy thing. So three T's for you. Trust, take, and turn when facing temptation. Trust his goodness. Take responsibility. Turn to the deliverer. We're going to see how to do that in the weeks ahead. Amen? We have a sin killer. Let's trust him. Father in heaven, we thank you. For the hope of the gospel, we thank you that we're not abandoned by you in our sin, that we're not swallowed up and you don't know where we are or how to deliver us. You're calling us by name. I pray that right in this moment, we'll name that sin and we'll say to you, Thank you, Lord, that you're good and deliverance is possible from and then name it. We pray, Lord, to see you and join you in crushing the head of the serpent and killing our sin. We pray in Jesus' name.